0: Keep it like a, The podcast project of the fenables by Leo for longer. Today, introduction to Philip K. Dick with Martin Byrne. everyone today my guest is martin Byrne, who's a, an architect and a, a, a huge fan of philip Kedig's work so we're going to talk about philip Kedig today uh hello martin hello uh so maybe to start up the conversation um you could uh, you could maybe tell us a little bit how what is your relationship with uh the work of philip Kedig that you that you've been exploring so so much i mean you have in front of you, you have a huge book called The Exegesis of Philip K. that you just, uh, you just yeah, the, the noise you heard was exactly, <laughs> was precisely the book on the table. Um, yeah, th- tell, us, tell us a bit more about that, please. Okay,
1: um, I should start out by saying that I am in no way an authority on the subject. It's just been um, a mild obsession, I'd say, I've had over the years with him and um, the first book I read was Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? And just the quality and um, provocation in the book really hooked me on to him. And then it was just one novel after another um, until I guess Valis was really the one that really got me to the obsessive point. Um, Valis is <clears throat> one of his novels that deals with... a Explicitly autobiographical event, um, and that's what this exegesis is about. Him trying to figure out what the event was and uh, what it means as far as his understandings about God and humans and personality and uh, reality. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so uh, I, I suppose that many of our listeners know already. Fybi Katico have been have uh, been reading. One of his book or more, and um, but maybe we should uh, we should introduce him a little bit more. Uh, so he was this uh, 20th century uh, American science fiction writer, and um, and actually even if we have uh, many of the listeners that might have not read anything from him, I'll be surprised that I'll be surprised that someone did not see a movie that was either very influenced by his work or or even like an adaptation an adaptation of the work because so do hundreds of do uh, hundreds dream of electric ship made the made the film blade runner by reed lescott we also have total recall by paul their 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 sorry <laughs> uh minority reports uh, spielberg paycheck a scanner Dartley. uh there's been there's been many many adaptations that uh that usually credits him in a relatively subtle way but uh, that obviously have everything to do with his work um, so today we're gonna we're gonna go a little bit through his uh, through his work with uh, a few a few of his novels but like some recurrent topic and maybe the first one we can talk about is this uh, uh, ubiquitous which is <laughs> relatively is a good word since uh, one of his book is called uh, ubic and uh, we might get a uh, we might get a, a film uh, of Ubik soon. I, I, th- I think I read that uh, Michel Gondry was was filming it, so that mm-hmm. that would be pretty great. But what the the, the ubiquitous uh, element of um, of Philip uh, uh um work will be the the existence of overlapping worlds. Um, I'd uh, say the
1: overlapping realities. Yeah, overlapping
0: is. realities. So. For for example, in um, to to give you a very a very, uh, a very easy example in in 1977 he, he went for the first time he left the US I think uh, and he went to France in Metz for the science fiction uh, festival and he gave a lecture in front of uh, uh, several hundred people and he he told them without anybody really... Knowing if he was serious or not, but he told them that none of this world that they were seeing was actually real, that actually everybody uh, was still living during the Roman Empire, and everybody was persecuted Christians and uh, the incarnation of their of the Roman Empire and the Roman emperor uh, in in the world we could see was Richard Nixon, which uh, uh, was driving a lot of uh, a Philip K. Dick's paranoia, yeah. But as uh, there's many, many yeah, other examples. So please, please, Martin, uh, tell tell us more about it.
1: Uh, well, the thing about the Mets conference, uh, he was very serious and said as much to them. Um, but he knew that he sounded like a lunatic, which sometimes he thought he was, and sometimes he definitely knew that he wasn't. Um, but also in that speech that he gave he described to them that he had been writing this same theme for most of his career about alternating realities and shifting perceptions of those realities um, subconsciously. And then after this event that I mentioned earlier, um, he wrote about that with sort of direction and purpose to elucidate to himself probably what those alternate realities were. So, Um, The books that he uh, toys with this. Ubik, like you mentioned, is one. Uh, Flow My Tears, the Policeman Said, is another, uh, which is loosely about a celebrity uh, in some near future that falls asleep and wakes up to a new reality where nobody recognizes him. Um, The next one is... These are not in any chronological order. Um, The Man in the High Castle which is um an alternate history in which the Axis powers won World War two and they've basically divided the US and most of the world into the Japanese and Nazi governments. Um
0: it might be good to say actually that the man the Man in the High Castle may be one of the most um one of the most accessible book that he wrote for a broader audience and People who usually enjoy science fiction, like this one and *A Scanner, A Scanner Darkly*, I suppose, are the two that really are um, belong to their a broader definition of literature. I
1: suppose. I'd say that's probably right. A lot of his um, very science fictiony books, like *Do Androids*, um, talks a lot about flying cars and landing on roofs, and obviously robots and or Sats animals and lasers and space and all these other things but um scanner darkly happens in um, los angeles i think i think so or or berkeley somewhere in major city in california in the 70s um, which is also semi-autobiographical where he had just fallen out of a bad marriage and um took up with a lot of uh the drug culture and had a lot of people coming in and out of his house which is one of the uh Scenarios that you see in a scanner darkly, um, and the man in the high castle, obviously being historical fiction is uh, a lot more accessible mm. like you're saying. Um, It's
0: what you that's what we call Ukraine, Ukraine, Ukraine yeah. so like mm. something something changed in the past that modifies the world as it is now, so in in that specific case there uh, uh the Nazi and the Japanese are uh, won the Second world war. And so, as you said, we we see the situation that is uh, uh, today. But there, the title refers to the man in the high castle, which is this this guy who who wrote who wrote a, a book where uh, the allies won the war and describe a reality. So you, it's interesting how you have uh, what I would call maybe gates between mm-hmm. each each reality, each layer of the reality.
1: That's mm-hmm. a yeah, gates or triggers maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, some things portals? Devices that allow people to glimpse if not transverse between the alternating realities because they're his prime um, proposition is that they're all happening at the same time. It's almost a string theory-ish idea where if you just have the right thing to pull you out, a lot of what he used was drugs both in his books and in his personal life to get him into these states um one of the uh later books of his uh in the Vallas trilogy is the three stigmata of Palmer Palmer Eldritch where this um business magnate goes to a different galaxy and comes back with a drug that transports people into a new reality so there's another device that he uses um the man in the high castle happens to be a book within his book um and in The Man in the High Castle, there's also the *The I Ching, which is a very, very important device, again, that allows people to sort of understand why things are happening the way they are and what their lives mean. Um, the I Ching itself is the most ancient Chinese text of divination, I think is how it's referred. Um and you have, uh, I like think, a set of dice that you roll, and whatever comes up, you look up in this book. Um, so he's got multiple ways of pulling both the reader and the characters through different realities to sort of see what's on the other side.
0: And I believe he used, he used it to write one of his books, didn't he?
1: I would not be surprised. But he was,
0: yeah, I think he was quite obsessed for a while with it. So.
1: He went through very many obsessions, mm-hmm. as you can probably guess by... The size of his actual exegesis or thesis, which is you know, mm-hmm. biblical, and um, um,
0: it, it's in, it's interesting to see that. Uh, so you, we talked about those objects, those triggers or portals, and but he also characterized one of their one of what we call pathologies as um, people who are able to see through those realities. And, uh, so the, the, the figure of the schizoid, mm. uh, I, I, am not sure how valuable it is in terms of, uh, in, in medical terms, but I mean, he, through several books, he, he has, uh, developed, he has developed, um, uh, something about the schizoid, the schizoid person, uh, as someone who' gifted with, with uh the ability to see through those realities i is that is that right
1: yeah i I would say in uh different veins he uses um certain real medical diagnoses as um literary devices in order to get people to go through <clears throat> uh different parts of the society like you're mentioning the schizoid uh martian time slip um one of his 1960s novels. Uh, There's an autistic and a schizophrenic and a Martian, obviously. Um, Of course. Who all sort of experience the world in a similar, maybe not similar, but in a different way from the rest of society. I think he also was using it as a subtle cultural critique because the other characters in the novels are generally really neurotic, which we could say is the society that we live in now and they're all taking, you know, phenobarbital and different barbiturates to um, decrease their anxiety about, you know, modern time. Um, So these other temperaments, the schizoid, the autistic, the Martian, um, are vessels, you might say, to view the world in other ways. It's, you know, medically speaking... There'd be a lot of people that would be upset by the suggestion that being an autistic is not a disease or um, a medical diagnosis, but actually sort of a different formation of the brain that allows them to move, see something, see or move or, or just understand a different reality than, um, than what we currently live in. Hmm. I might have a quote for us actually from precisely Martian
0: Tamsley, but it's it's when uh, when this kid is seeing is uh, seeing his psychiatrist and uh, Philip K. Dick writes uh, I quote: He saw the psychiatrist under the aspect of absolute reality, a thing composed of cold wires and switches, not a human at all, not made of flesh. The fleshy trappings melted; it became transparent, and Jack Boland saw the medical the mechanical
1: device beyond. Yeah. So, Jack Bolin is the main character of that book, and he is, I would say, schizotypal, not fully schizophrenic, because it's not been a debilitating thing for him. But in the novel, it becomes debilitating, and such as this passage that you just read. Um, he has a son um, who is fully neurotic, and they say, you know, quote, fully adapted to the Martian colony. He fits in perfectly because he's so neurotic. And there's a scene where he goes. Um, the main character, Jack, to the child's school, which, funnily enough, is is like egg-shaped, which I thought was an interesting uh, metaphor, maybe. Um, but he goes to the school, where the school is basically a gigantic machine. The kids go in, and they answer pre-conditioned um, questions, and it's very robotic, you might say. You know, the responses are limited, and the psyche of the main character clashes with the machine psyche that's teaching the children in this very strange way. And the whole thing starts shutting down and the machines go crazy. And, um, there's another child, a neighbor child. His name is Manfred, who is, uh, more severely schizophrenic than Jack. And there's a later scene where all three are in the school and it just completely goes haywire. And that's when sort of the climax of the novel happens and all the, um resulting closure stems from it's it's pretty interesting as a plot device as far as literature goes, and then as far as understanding the nature of reality in humans what is what it is to be human which yeah. is something that we wanted to talk about yeah
0: definitely that's that's something that uh, um, in 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 the few books that I read from philip Kiddick, there is the one that me speaks the most about that it might be the do androids dreams of electric chip and um, because on the contrary of Ridley Scott's movie Blade Runner um, although this might be debatable but uh, there is a there's a true care brought to the idea that anyone could be an android mm-hmm. without knowing it mm-hmm. uh, that like there's been uh, memories memories uh injected to to us and like what we what we thought we had lived uh 15 years ago is just fake memories because we really started to be in the world uh, like 2 weeks ago and and there is a scene in uh, there are several scenes actually in during the book where where people are being questioned like that, uh, there's this character who who's really close from from being convinced that he, he was indeed an Android. But there's also the, the main character himself where uh, who is questioning an Android and the the Android is saying, Well, if an Android doesn't care about what happened to any other androids, that's that's what that might mean you must be an Android yourself and and Rick Deckard the, the the main character is like well no 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 i passed a test uh, i passed a test i am not an android and and the woman says well yeah but you could have had the memory in, of passing the test injected so there there's there's this thing about about Philip K Dick that's that's uh, that's very interesting in the fact that we we're never sure of what what the world is what we are uh, um yeah he's a he's a master at inducing doubt in yeah, the reader yeah um which which has definitely some political values, obviously in this kind of thing. Not being, not being convinced of, uh, of anything. Yeah, and and uh, it's there's something of solipsism as well. In like solipsism is about thinking, thinking that you might be the only. Real, really alive person in the world that ever the entire world it's, it's a rather egocentric uh, vision of the world, but still like, I think we, we have, we've all been through that, uh, maybe, uh, or I don't know, actually <laughs> that's precisely the question. Uh, but, but it's like, well, you can, you can have this vertigo that, that you're the only person existing and, uh, kind of going back to the Cartesian, uh, uh, I think, therefore, I am. So uh, maybe the only thing I can be sure of is I am, but after that, I'm not sure of anything. But
1: Yeah, I don't think Dick was even really sure of that, to be fr- perfectly honest with you. Yeah. He was so obsessed with um, larger entities that <coughs> um, would affect people in certain ways. Um, I think the, the nature of the human-android relationship in... Do androids is really fascinating, um, but in a way, it's um, a compound relationship where we, you know, at some point, we create androids to serve us, and then they grow beyond their original purpose, allegedly, and become something more. Um, he may have, Dick may have the contention that we are the same way from the god that created us um, so there's a, there's an interesting quote from Donna Haraway, the woman that wrote um, mm-hmm. the Cyborg Manifesto where she said in it something along the lines of um, our machines are becoming more and more active and we are becoming more and more inert um, and that sort of flattening of humans and peaking of androids to the point where they're almost at the same level at that point you know maybe it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you can tell which is which
0: well and i suppose that's precisely what philip kiddick is trying to uh, is trying to induce because in uh, so in do androids uh, there is this android who's uh, this um She's diva, right? Like she, she uh, Luba, opera singer, Luba Luft. Yeah, Luba Luft. Yeah, uh, and like, and and she's being killed by another Blade Runner, another uh, another um, uh, killer, uh, bounty hunter. Bounty hunter. Thank yeah. you. Uh, uh, and and Rick Deckard was also about bounty hunter. Realized that he has way more empathy for this woman that happens to be an android and would. Mm. He even says like, "Who is useful to the world?" Because she has like this beautiful voice mm. that she she brings to the world. Then then this guy was like this cold this uh, cold, blood, cold blooded killer. Um, so so there's an interesting tension always about yeah he
1: he always you know throughout the book the character is always traumatized after he retires an android. You know he still feels as though he's killing something, whether it's human or not. He's still killing it. So there is a very big emotional impact that it's not really explicitly said. Besides the, you know, couple of sentences about him feeling, you know, strangely sad about it, and then on the flip side, the end of the book um, has an event that really makes him feel better in a way that he hadn't been able to get to before. You know, it's um some type of I'm not sure what exactly what to call it. Uh, it's a cathartic moment for him, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what it was is he found... He, he's driving out to the desert, the waste, um, to commit suicide after retiring all these androids. And in the dirt, he finds a toad. And so in this novel, this is a massively important event because most animals are extinct. And they, humans have replaced them with... Um, robotic animals to make them feel better and he finds one out in the wilderness and he goes back to his house without having killed himself with the toad and shows it to his wife and um she opens a panel on its stomach and it turns out to be a robot but he's still had that cathartic moment in finding the the robot the frog um toad and he it you know, it helps him. So, A, he feels terrible about killing androids. B, he uses a robot to feel better about it, and yet he's human, or is he? Maybe he's not. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's all this wash of doubt that in the end it's up to the reader to really decide what is what.
0: Yeah, and that that might have been the only uh, aspect that we less got kept in, term of d- in terms of doubt, but... Hmm. In his movies, there's never this kind of moment where an android realize realizes that he or she is an android.
1: Um, in the film, there's the scene where the main um, Roy Roy Batty um, he's standing on the roof in the rain. You can't tell if he's crying or if it's just the rain. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there are moments, but they're not as um, yeah. profound as the book. You know?
0: um, and so. You you were actually one of the very very first uh, writers for the Phenomenalist Papers. So your text is in the volume one volume one of the Phenomenalist Papers, hmm. and uh, you had a text already about Philip K. Dick, um, called "Transcendent Delusion" or the Dangerous Free Spaces of Philip K. Dick. and you bring something that you bring something in it that uh, I I find fascinating in in a lot of uh, Dick's uh, novels which are those two neologisms mm. um of keppel and gobble that uh i i know we we don't necessarily think of them the exact same way but i, I kind of think as a as a form of entropy mm. uh uh and like ubik ubik may be the absolute uh the absolute uh text for it because uh the the main character of ubik finds itself at some finds himself at some point in a in a world that uh chronologically regress mm. so it's like you're you're holding your new uh, whatever smartphone and then all of a sudden this phone comes back to 1990s uh, uh, cell phone and then and et cetera et cetera right. and, and there is there's this kind of entropy which in that case is obviously very uh, uh, humoristic I mean there's a lot of humor in, in Dick's novels that, yeah he's he yeah.
1: Um, it's it's dark, very dark humor you know um but the interesting thing about Ubik I was thinking about recently, um, the beginning, one of the early scenes in that book, um, there's an explosion, and most of the characters die. But they're in that sort of uh, median space between death and life. Yeah. Um, in this exegesis, he talks about what that is and where it is, and the, he mentions the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and they have a space called, I think it's called Bardo, which is that transition space between life and death. So there's still there's the re- recurring themes that he has that are just sort of stuck in his head and rolling around. Um, but as far as the entropy aspect that you mentioned, um, kippel and Gubble are both devices he uses um, to describe entropy. Kippel he uses in Do Androids um, most explicitly when he says it's, very literally, the spread of... Um, he actually says it's like the spread of garbage, essentially, mm-hmm. but all waste stuff spreads and will over forever overtake you, and you can only fight it, but it's not going to stop.
0: Well, that's where it's very funny, because he say, uh, and I quote, for instance, if you go to bed leaving any people around your apartment, when you wake up the next morning, there's twice as much of it. And obviously, we can all relate yes, to, to that. Yes, um, definitely.
1: It's it's funny because the character that he uses to uh, expound on the kippel is again like we mentioned earlier of a different sort of mental temperament um he's what they refer to as a chicken head or an ant head some special yeah he's right special some mentally um slow human because of um, he felt
0: some test and
1: well they sort of hint that it's because he lived in the radiation of the bombed out earth for too long um but he's the one that describes it, right? So there's there's another point where you have the alternate temperament able to see a different aspect of the world that most other people sort of ignore or can't see at all. Um, and then Gubble is actually, I would, I would say it's the mental equivalent, whereas kibble is the physical entropy. Gubble is the mental one that's used in Martian time slip to describe the temperaments we were talking about earlier, the schizoid and the autistic and the Martian
0: so one thing that's particularly interested with with, uh, Dick and we we kind of went through it already a little bit is that um, just like just like he has uh, let's say parallel parallel realities working simultaneously uh, he's his novels can be seen as parallel realities to his own life, so his own life is particularly uh uh important for that and this has been a this has been a great um a great biography of hipkidik uh, uh, unfortunately only in french uh, by Emmanuel Carrère, uh um, which is called like it it quotes it quotes uh Yubik actually to as a title it's uh, i'm alive and you're all dead um and uh and so maybe maybe would you would you mind telling us a little bit more about Philip F- K. Dick's life itself, and maybe through through this uh, exegesis exig- uh, in particular? Sure.
1: Um, yeah, it was in that Metz conference that he sort of begrudgingly admitted that a lot of his novels are semi-autobiographical, um, and in a lot of his biographies they say similar things. So he grew up in California, I believe. Um, And he had a twin sister whose name was Jane, um, and there were some complications after their birth, uh, and she died. And um, this had a major impact on Philip K. Dick's psyche throughout the course of his life. Um, He wrote a lot, um, mostly during the 50s, 60s, and then the 70s was sort of when his mind really unraveled. the event that we were keep speaking of, um, he answered the door um, to a messenger who was bringing him some prescription drugs, and she was wearing a necklace with the um, fish, the religious symbol of the fish.
0: The Christian fish. Christian fish.
1: Um, and at that moment, he claims that he was hit by a um, an intellect that allowed him to see uh, the superposition of ancient Rome over um, wherever they were in California at the time um, and things like this happened multiple times over the next month two months um, so he refers to the event as the date 2374 uh, and he asserts that this, intellect that is um, beaming thoughts and knowledge into his head had always been there in his life and it's what allowed him to write all the novels of the same themes Um, and it also gave him an understanding about the sort of liquid nature of reality and time Um, and he spends the next uh, end of his life essentially trying to figure out what this was and he writes this exegesis which is his religious tract that traces everything from gnostic christianity to zen buddhism to zorean astrianism uh, talks about all sorts of philosophers that have similar ideas of what he has happened to him um and there there there's still even contemporary artists today that describe a similar effect like tom waits has said something to the same effect or uh Jennifer Egan, who's the author of um, Eat, Pray, Love, they both describe this um, sensation of being a conduit for something. And so Philip K. Dick has always well, has, has tried to describe that in more um, specific terms, even though it's a very loose uh, phenomena, I guess you might say. Um, and so in his life, he witnessed... Alternate realities he swears that he sees them and sees them regularly, and on top of that is given certain knowledge that he used to not only save his own life once in, in actual reality but his son's life so um, at some point after this event, he had a vision while listening to a record that there was something in his son's head or body or some some type of tumor, and they rushed to the hospital and there was a tumor somewhere in the child's body, and they took it out and saved the boy's life. So, people who are skeptical about this can, you know, are more than welcome to be skeptical, but there were real um, results from this vast, active, living, intelligent system that uh, affected him throughout his life and is present in a lot of his books.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I suppose it's. Um whether to believe him or not is completely irrelevant right. anyway it's, except if you want to be part of a religion that whose uh, main prophet is Philip K. Dick, I think <laughs> the, the the interesting thing here is more of uh of the the eternal doubts that he triggers in us in mm. uh, in what we're and because obviously we're talking about uh we're talking about alternate realities uh i mean just just like us... Like um his science fiction books are autobiographical, as any other science fiction books. It says it says something about the political presence that's also extremely uh, poignant, I think. So being being absolutely being always in a in a in an attitude of doubt is something that politically is uh, cannot be a bad thing because it's kind of the it's the it's the it's the contrary of an ideology so Mm.
1: i will say that i think to that effect what really drew me to his novels is some some sense of liberation through these devices that he uses um so for some people to hear a suggestion that there are multiple realities and um you might not be in the right one could be terrifying but in a similar vein it could be really liberating um and the description of these different temperaments, mental temperaments, um, in the way that he describes them, I think, you know, uh, alleviates them of the stigma that they generally have in our, you know, quote-unquote normal society. Um, so that's, that's really one of the main points that draws me to him um, and all these uh, sort of shifting sands of themes and realities. Hmm. Philip Kedic as a
0: therapist, I suppose I, <laughs> I've never thought of it this way, but I guess that's a good way to conclude. Well, Martin, thank you so much. And uh, I hope that, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's only very few people in the world who read their 40 or so <laughs> novels that Philip Kedick wrote, so I hope it would trigger some, uh, some will to read more for every one of us. Mm,
1: mm. Thanks for having me. Thank you.